Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Greetings once again. I'm excited to share with you uh, another fun guest. And I think this is really cool because this guy is behind many of the products that you have seen at Walgreens. He's got a, a real creative mind and successful business inventing and selling these things. And he's got a lot to say about creativity and selling the ideas. His name is Afif Ganoum. And you're going to learn one, the conditions necessary for creativity to flourish. Two, how to successfully borrow, tweak, and validate ideas from giants. And three, the three credibilities you need to craft a compelling story. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep four six. And if you just want those takeaways faster, sign up for the gold nugget email list. You'll get the goods and an email you can read in two minutes or less to extract some quick wisdom from Afif and every other guest. So here's the scoop. Afif Ganoum is the founder of napkintoshelf.com. He is formerly a frustrated lawyer, but now has launched over 10 products that have sold in over 27,000 stores as well as online. Afif also has two patents, licensed technology to a large pharma company for a product sold in tens of thousands of stores in multiple countries and has raised nearly 9 million and counting in venture funding. Here's Afif. Afif, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I'd love to, if we could start off a little bit, if you could tell us just a little bit of the story from how you made the leap from lawyer to, you know, Uber product launching guru. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I was a lawyer at two of the biggest firms in the country and day in and day out, I was just killing myself and, you know, creating companies and doing deals that were helping others, you know, reach their goals and dreams, everything from, you know, major M&A deals to entrepreneurs that were selling their companies to major companies. And one day it just hit me that just thought, you know, this is stupid. I really want to do this for myself. So I went home and I told my wife and I told her, listen, I'm going to quit. And <laughs> as you sort of expect, she was nervous and she's from Buffalo, which is sort of died in the wool, you know, get a good job do a good job. And, you know, it's a secure thing because, you know, at the time I was walking away from a six figure job. So we had a nice house, knew that every month I'd reliably get paid X amount. So it was kind of scary, but I knew that if I didn't do it, I'd always regret it. So I quit and I founded a company called Oasis Consumer Healthcare along with a couple of other guys and started coming up with products. And here we are almost seven years later and about 4 million uh, products sold and I have a couple of patents and I was literally just at Walgreens yesterday pitching another product. So it's worked out. Oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. Well, congratulations. That sounds like a, a thrill ride. And, you know, I often just get random product ideas. Tell me, should I, should I, if that happens to any viewer or listener, what should they do? I have a random product idea. I mean, it's probably a ton of work to really do anything with it, but what should be their next step? Yeah, so here's the thing. Many entrepreneurs, right, that think they come up with an idea is that they think in order to be successful when coming up with a product idea is that they need to come up with something totally unique. And, you know, the reality is you really don't. In fact, it can actually be a really bad idea to come up with something that's totally unique. Why? Because it takes a lot of not only energy, but frankly, money to make people aware of you and actually show people why they need your product, you know? So 
you, everybody's heard of that concept of sort of red ocean, blue ocean, blue ocean being the idea of, you know, you want to be in a totally unique space and being the only person doing it. And I always make the joke that, you know, who else was in a blue ocean? Tom Hanks and Castaway. And guess what? He was there for a while because <laughs> nobody knew he was there. Right. So I always look for what I call pink ocean products, which is I look for an idea that is in a proven category where I'm bringing a unique angle to it, right? So easy example is James Dyson. Everybody knows the famous Dyson vacuum. The Dyson vacuum, yes. Right. And so he, everybody knows the story. He came up with hundreds of, I think maybe thousands of prototypes of the Cyclone vacuum cleaner. But what he didn't have to do was convince people, do you know there's this magical machine that if you mow it over your carpet, will clean it? No, People knew that vacuums worked. He just brought a really innovative way of doing it. And guess what? The, the dude became a billionaire, you know? So, you know, for us, that's what I do now. You know, we, we've also gone the blue ocean way. And, it, you know, it's a tough road to slide. Like, I'll, I'll give you, again, a specific example. Our biggest product is a product called Halo. Easiest way to think about it is Purell for your mouth. It kills airborne germs you breathe in. Mm-hmm. And when we launched it, we were the first people to come out with a spray that killed airborne germs you breathe in. We had clinical trials, patents. Uh, we won best new product of the year from top 100 retailers in the country. And everybody, including, again, retailers from Walmart to Walgreens, instantly put us in. We were in over 20,000 stores, and they thought, this is a $100 million brand instantly. And the problem was nobody knew what it was. They, kn- they hadn't ever heard of the concept. So we spent millions on television ads, print ads, explaining this is what it is. This is how you use it. And, you know, we ended up getting there, but it, it just took an amazing amount of effort. So that's why after that, we said, look, great innovative ideas are awesome. But unless you're Elon Musk, first time entrepreneurs, sole entrepreneurs, it's a lot better. And you can make a lot of money by just going into a proven product category and finding a unique spin, right? So another easy example is look at lip balms. I, I think we can agree the world doesn't need another lip balm. <laughs> But there are f- probably 10 different phenomenally successful lip balm brands, you know, Burt's Bees, the, the Beekeeper, which now ironically is owned by Clorox, too. EOS, it has those very vibrant colored eggs. You know, it's all mm-hmm. kind of the same stuff, but they all bring a unique sort of angle to type of product that they know will sell, which is lip balms, right? So that, you know, that's the first thing is sort of the first answer to it. And the other is that, once you sort of know you have an idea, it's really, really easy. And this is the hardest part of this is, is it, it's easy to fall in love with your own idea. But guess what? It really doesn't matter if I love my idea. It matters if the person who's going to buy it loves it, right? So what early on we would do, would spend, we'd spend hundreds of thousands on you know, very extensive marketing consultants, market research. And what we found was we were getting to the same conclusions doing some pretty basic and free techniques ourselves, right? So what we do is, and it sounds so schlocky, but we would do even just a simple Google search to see, has anybody else come up with this idea? And, you know, if they did, was there something that, were we too similar in them? Were we presenting a good angle? Was our price competitive to theirs? There's a lot of things that even just looking what else is out there in the market can really help. Because if you have an idea or a product that's phenomenal but it's 50 bucks and every other similar product's 20 most people are going to opt for the 20 dollar option you know so you got to really take your time and i actually write a lot about you know simple techniques on on uh, my site napkin to shelf.com about how you can really easily do your own 
simple market research just to figure out, is this an idea that's probably going to work? Oh, oh, yeah, that's that's fun. Well, I, I, it's funny. I was just making small talk about, hey, if I have an idea, what should be my first step? And it, it sounds like you're just saying first put a little bit of temperate with some some caution and some research and, and make sure it's not so so wild because that could be trickier. But I really want to chat primarily about kind of just how you're running your brain and your teams in order to kind of go through this good creative stuff in terms of generating great ideas and evaluating which ideas are likely to be the best and then ultimately being successful in in pitching and persuading those. Because I think professionals, whether or not they're inventing uh, consumer products, you know, day in, day out, uh, most aren't, everyone has to think up stuff and and sell others on the stuff they thought of. And so let's just maybe start right there. So first things first, you know, what are kind of the conditions or approaches you use to get some good ideas flowing? A hundred percent. So one of the things, and you make a great point in that not everybody is frankly going to become an entrepreneur or has that in them. And that's, you know, that may not be for them. Right. So one of the things I, I think though, that, and I call it, even if you're at a, a big company, you can be an internal entrepreneur is that the number one thing, and this is something we foster very strongly at our company is anybody, no one has a monopoly on great ideas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anybody can come and say, why don't we do this? And some of our best ideas have come from Danielle in our office who runs our investor relations. She came up with an awesome positioning for one of our oral care products and we ran with it and it really worked. And so one of the things that you have to, have to, have to do is one of two things. One, if you're in a leadership position, you have to be willing to let others share in the innovation and coming up with the ideas. The harder part, and I saw this a lot when I was at lawyer was we would do deals with these giant companies and you could just taste that people on these conference calls or meetings would be afraid to step up Uh and put themselves out there, right? Because in the culture, if you made a mistake, you were penalized as opposed to looking at it that, you know what, Dave actually put himself out there, came up with an idea, whether it worked or not, that's what we need, right? So if you, you know, I think one of the false things that people, and this is a little off of what you're asking, but I think it's really related is, people are very afraid of, you know, if I put myself out there, I'm leaving the security blanket. I just have to keep my head down and I'm secure. And the reality is I think I'm way more secure even when I was starting off than someone who's subject to the whim of some dude three levels above them looking at a spreadsheet and doing a layoff, you know, just cross out this section. Right. Uh And the people who survive things like that and thrive in big organizations are the ones who are willing to say, this is an idea we should run with. And whether, you know, whether they get friction or not, that's the only way I think you're actually going to make yourself more secure because there is someone who will see the potential, especially at good companies, big companies that you're, you're putting yourself out there, you know, otherwise, if you're just sort of going to go with the flow and not willing to put yourself out there, you're, you are just waiting and subject to someone else's whims and your security. Does that make sense? Oh, I totally hear you. And, and, and I'm wondering in practice, so I know we have an internal right. fear in terms of you know speaking up, throwing out an idea in, in a meeting. I guess I'm wondering a little bit about the, the cost benefit. I mean, is it, what's your opinion? Like, do you think that most cultures are so toxic that if you 
put out a quote unquote bad idea, it's going to hurt you or, or this fear is just like a, a ghost. It's, it's silly and there's no real justification for it in most cases. So I think it's it, actually it's a combination of both, right? And that's that's sort of a annoying answer. <laughs> but I've, I've seen where people are very hesitant because they fear that if they put themselves out there, that that's the result, right? And what I've heard, because now as I've continued to have success, I have had the opportunity to interact with people in very senior positions. And one of the things that annoys them most is that they ask for help and they ask for ideas and, you know, it's sort of an uh, empty echo chamber because people are very afraid, right? And it's even when you say, oh, you know, it's open, people are hesitant to believe that. So I think it's one of those things where you also have to read the tea leaves, right? And if you're in a place where truly it's that toxic, you need to do a sort of a gut reaction and say, is this ultimately where I need to be? Now, the other part is I think sometimes people – worry about things they can't control. And I look at things, uh, you know, I've gotten in the last couple of years as an entrepreneur, I used to really worry. That was a big problem for me that, oh, you know, what if this doesn't work out? Or what if this investor gets annoyed, you know, because we had to raise money as we got going. And I started really getting into stoic philosophy and, and really it was a very simple concept that really resonated for me has made a big difference as an entrepreneur, which is, and I think it applies to anybody, which is there are things I can control because I can't and things that are a mix of both, right? So things I can control is, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there and actually put this proposal together and work my ass off and show this team that I can put this out there or talk to my boss or, you know, if my boss is doing politically not playing ball because I, he doesn't want me to show up, I'm going to go to my boss's boss. But I'm going to put myself out there. And the thing is, I can control that. The things I can't control is ultimately what happens. I don't even worry about right? Because there's no point, you know, all, all it does is frustrate you or make yourself doubt yourself. And there's been a number of opportunities where for a quarter second, I was like, oh, maybe it's not a good idea. But I said, you know what, I'm going for it. And, it. and it's worked out. And sometimes it doesn't. But you know what, if you're the type of person that's willing to do that, opportunity will come your way. Not in, I'm not saying that in like a a cheesy, you know, successories posters type way. Mm -hmm. I think just if you have the perseverance, you have to realize 80% of the things you try are, are just not going to work. It's just that otherwise right. we'd all have six pack abs and be billionaires. <laughs> it, it's just not that easy, right? So you just have to be willing to just keep going at it. Oh, that's so fun. I have a, I have a keynote I do at a college campuses called six figure salaries and six pack abs. And, and that's kind of the message. Oh, hey, funny. it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's great. So, so one key then to generating ideas is just to have the courage to, to step up, put it out there, even if it's a little uncomfortable and, and we can gauge to see a kind of if, if you're in the right spot and if it's kind of a, a real fear or an imaginary fear. And so what are some other pro tips when it comes to doing some good idea generation in the first place? I think in my world of products, the easiest thing that I do is I literally go into stores and I go aisle by aisle because I know if those products are on shelf, it's because they're selling. And I just look and I see, you know, where is there somewhere that there's a gap in the market? I'll give you a simple example. Mouthwash. You've probably heard of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Used it this morning. Right, right. So millions and millions and millions of units of mouthwash are sold. It's a very reliably selling product, right? So looked at that aisle and when we were looking, we thought, you know, 
in many other categories, there are products that are age-related, right? Like vitamins for 50-plus adults or haircut to gray. But in oral care, except for kids, there was no demarcation of oral care based on your age group, even though we had seen that science showed older adults have different oral care needs than younger adults, right? Hmm. So when we look, thought, man, there's a real opportunity here. So we launched a brand called Age Essential Oral Care. And we got national distribution based on the fact that it was an easy sell showing. Nobody's focused on 50 plus adults and their oral care needs. And Listerine or these other brands are, for a variety of reasons, not great for them. And so that's what we'll do is just go into retail and look for positioning. Now, in, in other realms, again, there's so much literature now and so much on the internet that in any industry, there really isn't a reason that you can't benchmark and then iterate off of that, right? So whether it's process engineering, like my brother's a process engineer at an at a engineering company here in Cleveland, to uh, strategy at a hospital, there is some sort of literature that you can get access to that can act as your retail store that you can walk into and see, you know, there's nothing wrong with borrowing and iterating off the shoulders of giants to come up with better ideas. Oh, that's fantastic. That reminds me, you had a previous guest, Kevin Hall, and, and he said anytime he began a new role, he just read five books about that thing, whether it's manufacturing or whatever. And when he started walking and talking and they're like, wow, this guy is absolutely brilliant because <laughs> that's all it took. Right, right, right. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. One of my favorite examples is a sippy cup. There's a guy from the Cleveland area. He sold the rights, the royalty rights to the sippy cup patent. And when you look at, and he was the first guy to come up, come up with it. But when you look at his patent, the USPTO, US Patent Office, made reference to patents old that were referencing paint cans that if they spilled over, would not spill the paint out. And they're saying, oh, you know, it was related to this idea of a sippy cup, which the idea was a kid could drink and if it spilled over, it wouldn't actually spill liquid, right? So I would never think that those two things are related, but they are, right? It's this mm-hmm. idea of a container that if it's if it drops over, liquid won't come out, right? So it's the same idea with any area that in patents it's very common, but I like to apply that to other areas. So you know, when we're trying to come up with a new innovation for how we're going to do a, a digital marketing campaign, I don't reinvent the wheel. I go and find everything I can read or every, you know, blog I can find on, you know, the latest digital marketing techniques. And guess what? Like two of those strategies I pitched yesterday to Walgreens, they loved it. They hadn't seen anything like it. And to them, it was totally innovative. And we were the only people presented to them. But there are 50 other guys doing the same idea. I was just the first guy to bring it to them. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, so there's a couple tips then for, for generating the ideas. One's finding the courage. The second is to get some benchmarking and, and other info. So so now can you tell us a little bit about how you go about doing some of that refining, testing, evaluating to determine which of these ideas are winners versus losers and how do I, I tweak them to make them better? Right. So nowadays it is so much easier than it used to be to do this. And what we do is we will do everything through thing, at least your Facebook, right? So even our packaging, um, now we do some routine things like we'll, we'll go out to family and friends and we really do keep it that informed. When we pick our flooring for Kayla, which, you know, we sold millions of units of, to get the taste right, we had maybe 10 versions of the flavor in the party. And we said, 
you know, family and friends come and we ultimately got to flavor it's the wine that's been shockingly successful for us. Right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think people want to overcomplicate things. You really can't do things pretty informally. So nowadays we'll do things like that, but also what we'll do is we refine the messaging, the packaging, everything through simple Facebook ads, right? I'm, I'm talking about hundred dollar campaigns where we'll see which one, you know, we'll run five or six campaigns and we'll test the messaging, the packaging, you know, how we're presenting to the consumer. We'll send informal surveys. The product I launch typically doesn't look like the product a year later because I am a big believer in that the enemy of good is perfect. You know, people really get, especially your first time out, you really think, oh my God, nothing can be wrong with this. And, and, and they will hesitate thinking everything must be perfect. So everything has to be good enough, you know, and you can get to perfect, but you're never going to get it right. You get feedback from consumers, you get feedback, you know, from retailers. So you're going to have to adjust down the line. You just have to get something out there and go from there. Okay, that's great. Anything else? So you just quick feedback, however you can get it with the Facebook ad, a simple survey. I really enjoyed using uh, voicepolls.com and Google uh, Consumer Insights and yes. SurveyMonkey yes. audience when I was seeing, hey, does anyone care about a podcast to be awesome about your job? Oh, it looks like somewhere between 4 and 18% of people are extremely interested in such a podcast. Well, that's great news. That's game on. No, no, 100%. I'll give you another quick example, even with my blog a napkin to shelf. At first, I really thought people would be interested in the idea of how do I get a product, you know, on the shelves of Walgreens or Walmart. And it turned out people were way more interested on on how to sell online hmm. and through Amazon and you know Instagram. And I would not have known that if, if I had not done the research because I could have just walked in saying, "Yo, everybody watched Shark Tank and they love the idea of being on the shelves of Walmart." And it turns out, no, that's not actually the case. So. Yeah, you're totally right. And these are not complicated tools and they're, and frankly, most of them are free. That's great. Okay. So, so now talk to us a little bit about the, the, the sales cycle. Like you, you got an idea and you want to persuade someone to get on board and say, this is great. You know, maybe invest some, some corporate budget into it or to, to offer their own sort of sponsorship or champion that thing. What are some, some best practices in, in really making, that pitch come to life. So it, it depends. And just to clarify, when you're saying a pitch, do you mean like to a retailer or do you mean to an investor? Because it's it sort of two different dynamics. Oh, I hear you. So I, I am thinking about uh, universal practices in terms of right. persuasive communications. So it may even right. be internally to you know your boss or your boss's boss. Right. So the universal thing, and again, I'll illustrate it. In yesterday when I went to Wal- uh, Walgreens, I had. I was supposed to have 20 minutes. I had 10. Why? Because they got backed up, right? So I knew I had 10 minutes to get, you know, my Mavis Beacon typing uh, skills to work and just verbalize it very succinctly the plan. And universally, whether I'm pitching an investor to whether I'm pitching a retailer, it comes down to one thing, and that's creating a compelling story around not just my product or idea, but around me. Because whether people are investing money and we've raised almost $10 million as a company to whether we're selling a product to retail, the product is important, but that's probably 25% of it. They're investing in you. So I always, always, always spend literally maybe 15% of the time talking about the product. And then it's about, I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about our partners. I'm talking about employees, why I've got the best people helping me bring this to life. They want to know one thing. 
are you going to be able to make this successful? So it's the same thing. And that applies internally. If, if you're at a corporate position, your idea may be great, but if you're not able to show that you're the one to do it, you're going to have that idea that may be great taken and someone else will implement it. So you need to, the sell job and the pitch job is 80% of, of about you. So that's always how I approach these things. I, I call it, you know, in, in the context of investors, like creating a compelling fundraising story. It's a very much a holistic approach. If you're too much just talking about the idea, you're not doing your job. You have to sell yourself and your capabilities. Because at the end of the day, people don't care about your idea and they don't care about you. They care about whether what you're talking about is going to be successful. And that's a combination of your idea and you. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And, and I think it's it, it's so interesting when I'm evaluating anything, like I, I was just checking out this, this book about a diet. It's called Always Hungry? Question mark. And I was like, yes, I am always hungry. Tell me more. <laughs> and, and so I, I am checking. I was like, okay, is your science good? Okay. Are your results good? Are your credentials good? And it's sort of like, what I want the, to know the most is, is this thing going to work in the sense that it will make me more energized and less hungry every day? And, and so to the extent they have really cool endorsements from folks, you know, that's kind of like a little bit of a proof point in the direction. But what I want the most is, hey, in a study of this nature, these are the results. And, and it was fantastically smashing successfully. A hundred percent. So, so tell me, what are some kind of the, the components that make for a compelling story? So I would say a few things. One, yourself. What, what are your actual credentials? Do you have experience doing what you're doing? So again, in my context, at this point, I've done this a number of times. This is not my first rodeo. And that applies to raising money, running a company, to launching a product. I've, I've done this, right? But in the context of a corporate job, it may be if you came up with some sort of way to you know cut company overhead by 15%. Well, why should they take your credibility, right? So that's the first thing. It, it's it's your personal credibility. The other is the credibility and thoughtfulness of, of the idea. And that goes back to what we were talking about. Like, why would this idea make sense, right? And going back to lip balms, I don't have to prove that lip balms sell well. A retailer buys into that. So I, I have a lot of credibility going into it that lip balms, I just have to prove that my approach is good. So now you have credibility about yourself and you have credibility about your idea. The next is your infrastructure, right? And infrastructure for me is literally, how do you get this stuff made? What factories are you working with? Are they FDA audited? Who is actually going to supply this to us when we order it? And so internally, if you have some phenomenal idea at a company, that may be great, but you have to come and show, here's my infrastructure to get this done. I know Don over in accounting can help and he's interested in helping. I know, you know, we have someone over in the finance or treasury department that can also assist and they're uh, interesting in getting the job done. So again, it's building this holistic picture that walks the person through the mind map of how does this get done? Forget an idea. The idea is neat. Okay. How do you get that? Show me the process. So however, whatever that may be. So, you know, we're taking a drug through FDA approval, right? And we're in phase two, phase three. And we will be, if approved, one of the first drugs approved to actually prevent influenza. We've been through millions of dollars of research, partnered with NIH. Now, while I've done a lot of the FDA work, at this stage, I've started to bring in guys, former J&J &J guys, former McKinsey guys, 
to add to my credibility halo because I'm trying to partner and I've licensed a drug to one of the biggest pharma players in the world, partly because when they looked at us, they saw the science was done by first rate scientists that had been published in first rate journals. The regulatory was done by first rate people, even though I was one of the inventors of the technology. Does that make sense? Certainly. So, So that's what you have to do. You have to lay out this process and really this holistic approach to this is how you're going to get it done. Oh, that's lovely. Well, well so you, you tell me anything else you want to share there in terms of generating ideas, evaluating ideas, selling ideas before we shift gears into the fast faves component. No, I, I think the, the critical piece is just having the confidence to do it and then trust but verify, which I mean, trust your gut and you probably may have a good idea, but then go out and verify and then build your story around how you're going to actually present that idea to actually get it to fruition. Because again, unless you're Elon Musk and you just say, forget everybody else, I can finance this my, myself. Most people need help getting their idea to come to life. All right. That's good. That's good. All right. So so now let's, let's shift gears a bit. Could you start us off by sharing what's a favorite quote, something that inspires you? Yeah, so one of my favorites is uh, by Marcus Aurelius, one of my favorite Stoke philosophers. And he said, you have the power of your mind, not outside events. And again, it sort of relates to what I was talking about before that I always remind myself that as long as I kick ass at the things I can control, it's a waste of energy worrying about the things I can't. And that's really helped me on an entrepreneurial side as well as frankly in life. So I'd say that's my favorite quote. Oh, lovely. And how about a favorite book? You, you're probably going to pick up on a common theme here, but a favorite book of mine is is called A Guide to the Good Life by William Irvine. And again, I'm really into the idea of stoicism and I credit it with helping me grow as an entrepreneur. And Irvine does an incredible job of making Stoic philosophy really accessible and really relatable to modern life. So it's a great book. And a guy named Derek Sivers, I think it's cites Derek Sivers, S-I-V-E-R-S dot org. He is an awesome outline of just some of the concepts of, of the book. So definitely worth checking out. Have you read The Obstacle is the Way? I've heard of it. I have not read it. I think that's also like right up your alley. So I'll definitely check that out. How about a favorite tool, whether that's a gadget or hardware or software, something that you find handy? So I'm an enormous fan of Boomerang for Gmail. And what that does is I can keep track of people who haven't gotten back to me or if I need to follow up. And, you know, as an entrepreneur and frankly in any business, just a lot of it comes down to perseverance and keeping up. So it's a really helpful tool. I use ClickFunnels a lot for the type of digital marketing we do in WordPress. So I also love those too. And really I'd be lost without my MacBook Air. I just think it's a phenomenal computer. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. You emailed me twice about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because I boomeranged to follow up with you. Yeah. But it, I, I thought you were awesome the first time around. For the record, it was just that my my spam filter sometimes trips people that they've never heard from. And I was like, oh, so that was the story there. So Yeah, but literally, <laughs> I boomeranged. You showed back up and I said, hey, I think I said, I literally said, hey, just want to follow up to the below. Yeah. And guess what? You did, right? I so, sure did. Yeah. <laughs> And how about a favorite habit, you know, is something, a personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? Yeah. So one of the things I do, like I told you before, I used to really be sort of a worry wart. So what I do is every morning I, and my wife ribs me every day when I do this, I take a steam bath and I do two, uh, two things. One, first I take, I take a couple minutes and I really, and 
it sounds so successories, but it really is true. <laughs> I tr- take a minute to try and just be grateful, right? Like, we are so lucky with everything we have. Right. And, you know, as a society, we've just kind of turned ambition into sort of a little bit of more of greed and envy. Mm. And it's really hard to step back and realize just how lucky we are. So even if it's just for a couple of minutes, I take time to think about, you know, a person I'm grateful for who's in my life or things that have been going great or, you know, my children. And then I do breathing exercises and I do a couple of yoga poses that would frankly make most people uh, pass out if they ever saw me doing them. But, um, you know, for me, it really gets me ready for the day, invigorated and just frankly relaxed. Mm-hmm. And how about sort of a, a favorite nugget in terms of the content you put out there? Is, is there something that really tends to get uh, shared a lot in social media or uh, distributed far and wide or people taking notes vigorously when you start saying it? That, you know, they want to do everything right. So I always take a deep breath. This is not rocket science. You just have to, you know, be willing to do this day in and day out and just take it one step at a time. Fantastic. And, and what's the best way to find you if people want to learn more or get in touch? Yeah, check out napkin to shelf.com. That's my site. And on Twitter, it's at napkin to shelf. Or you can always email me at afif, F-I-F, at napkin to shelf.com. And I'm always happy to answer any questions. And shoot me an email. And it may take me a second to get to it, but I will reply. I always reply to everybody. And those are probably the easiest ways. Lovely. And and a favorite, perhaps, a challenge or, or call to action that you'd leave folks with who are seeking to become more awesome at their jobs? Yeah. And I alluded this to earlier, right? And really, someone may be sitting at their job listening to this and thinking, ah, sounds great, but I, I really feel secure in my job. And it's tough to give that security up. And whether that's to become an entrepreneur or put yourself out there. And, you know, the dirty secret is you're, you're really not secure. You're more vulnerable than I ever will be because your career rests in someone else's hands. That doesn't mean you should go out and just be an entrepreneur. Like I said, you can be an internal entrepreneur and you just have to put yourself out there because trust me, I spent years at big law firms dealing with these guys like I was telling you about and you could just, it was palpable that people were afraid to actually stand up and be a person to say, yep, we should do this. So, you know, you literally have nothing to lose and everything to gain by just believing yourself and just doing it. Oh, thank you. Well, Afif, this has been a real treat. I wish you tons of luck and success with the products that you're launching. And I'm going to pick up some Halo and and maybe stand this stuff that you're associated with. And this has been a real treat. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Well, I hope you're inspired. And maybe you heard a little bit of yourself in some of those uh, situations where people are terrified to put forth an idea in a room. But maybe the time has come for you to summon that courage and and put forth that idea. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep46. And I hope you will stay tuned for the next episode, number 47. We got Lee Stringer, who's got some fascinating perspectives on what makes your work environment optimal, productive, things like lighting, things like sense, things like uh, nature, influences, all kinds of subtle little things, temperature that maybe you didn't even think can make a big impact on how well you're working, but really does. So you're going to want to check that one out and hope to catch you then. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.